So turn to James. We're going to be in James chapter three for real. I'm, I'm just really honored to get to be one of the pastors here um, and get to do this and and uh, be a part of your lives. Thank you so much for being here, um, for uh, being part of this church. Uh, we, my family and I, were on vacation um, last this past Sunday. We were able to go to uh, our North Lake congregation that meets at the North Lake Theater, um, and just so neat to see what God's doing there. Uh, through David and the other leaders and the people who are part of that congregation. And so just continue to pray for them and with them uh, that God would continue to do neat things um, there. And uh, it was just an honor to get to worship with them. Um, I was also really blessed and honored by by the way God used Nathan the last couple of weeks. If you were not here either of the last two weeks, you need to listen to the podcast. Uh, he was very he was exceedingly faithful with God's word. And, and just an encouragement to me as, as I was able to listen. And so I want to encourage you to go back and do that. Um, when you came in, there were a couple of things on your chair. Uh, one of them we're going to talk about at the end of our gathering. But one of them is a small card. It's got information on one side about our gathering and what you can expect. On the other side, it's got information we would like to receive from you, like your name, email address, and some things like that. Particularly if you've never been before. This is your first time. We're so glad you're here. Um, if you'll... Write that down. You can drop it in either this box in this corner or you can give it to somebody on your way out and we, um, at the uh, orange desk. We'll follow up with you this week and um, try to welcome you to our church and let you know what God's doing here. Uh, no SWATS teams will show up on your doorstep or anything, but we will try to uh, just respectfully let you know what God's doing here at our church and how you can be a part of it. Um, last thing before we jump into James, there's going to be a phone number on the bottom of each of the slides. And if you have a question at any point um, during the sermon, you can text it into that number and we'll have some space at the end of our gathering to answer those questions. Um, there, uh, we had some great questions in the first service. And so if you want to do that, uh, feel free to do so. We're going to be in James chapter three. We're going to be in verses 13 through 18. Uh, but before we get there, I kind of wanted to take a running, running start at James so that we uh, kind of get caught up. And maybe maybe that's more for me than for you. But I thought, thought it'd be good for us to get kind of caught up with James. So James is a letter written by a guy named James, who is the half-brother of Jesus. Um, now, it's interesting to know that he was the half-brother of Jesus for a couple of reasons. One of those is that in the New Testament, we get this snapshot of Jesus' family interacting with Jesus and some people, and his family thinks he's crazy, and they want to put him away. And so what, what you need to connect with that there is that James, as a skeptic, as a family member looking at his brother... He was skeptical, didn't know entirely if he was God. And then after Jesus is crucified, buried, and raised to new life, James is now radically changed. He's one of the leaders at the church in Jerusalem. He writes this letter to a group of Christians that he loves and cares about, wants them to know and understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to walk with Jesus. And so if you're here today and you're kind of skeptical about the Bible, skeptical about all this stuff about Christianity, and you're wondering, is it really true? What's all this about? Then you need to understand that something happened in James' life that would take him from thinking his brother was insane to worshiping his brother. We've got Thanksgiving coming up in a few weeks. We'll all be putting the fun and dysfunctional around Thanksgiving with our family. What would it take for you to worship one of your siblings? You ever thought about that? James started worshiping his brother because he knew that he was God. So James writes this letter to a group of Christians who are scattered around because of some persecution that's going on in the church. 
Um, and James is very, very concerned with some things that he talks about in the letter. Now, James is not concerned about things outside working in. He's not concerned about behavior management. He's not concerned about, let's get all these things fixed on the outside. James goes right to the heart. And James is concerned about internal transformation. He wants our hearts to be changed because he knows if our hearts are changed, then our behaviors, our lives, the conduct of our lives will be Different, And so James talks about this idea of receiving with meekness the implanted word that's able to save your souls. So we come to God and say, God, I can't do this myself. I can't fix me. God, would you fix? Would you change me? And so we receive with meekness or humility this word that can save us. James is concerned about us being not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. He wants us to live out what the word says. And he talks about this, this thing uh, called worthless religion and pure religion. This thing where worthless religion is where we talk a big game, but there's no real action that's a part of that. Pure religion is where the gospel gets into us and radically changes us so that our lives look different. And James is going to unpack that theme throughout the rest of the letter. He talked about showing favoritism and how that was opposed to God and his word. That that was not pure religion to show favoritism. He, he talked about the, the, the call to bridle our tongue. And so James is going after these parts of our lives so that this gospel can work out into all these different places in our lives. Today, we're starting in verse 13, where James is kind of calling out people. And he says in verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you? He's not asking for raised hands. He's not asking them to go, me, I'm, I'm wise. No, he's saying there's people in the church that are saying they're wise. And James is going to kind of call them out. He's going to do the same thing about people who are creating disunity in chapter 4, verse 1. In chapter 4, verse 13, he's calling out people who are all about planning and not really submitting their lives to God. In, verse, in chapter 5, he's going to call out people who love money and are wealthy. And so James is going to be calling out these kinds of people saying pure religion means that the gospel is going to get down into our hearts and transform these areas of our lives. So he's not coming from the outside in. He's really working from the inside out, longing for and talking about real heart level transformation. And so today we're getting into this idea of wisdom. And James wants not worthless, worthless wisdom, but he wants pure wisdom that comes as a gift from God and changes our lives. So chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that this this letter was written by James and that we have this letter preserved for us so that we can read it and understand it and know it. Father, I pray that we would be focused not just on the 
application of this passage, but God, the, the real the heart transformation that, that you want to do. Jesus, would you uh, reveal yourself to us so that we can know you better? Holy Spirit, would you give us wisdom and understanding from your word? Uh, would you protect us from standing off from it and just kind of observing it? And would you help us to enter into your word? And would you allow your word to enter into us so that we might be different and changed and more and more reflect the image of Jesus in our lives? Um, Father, James talks about people in this passage who are talking as if they have something they don't. Who are pretending, who are playing a game, who are acting as if they're wise when in reality they're foolish. And I pray that you would speak to us today. And Lord, where we're pretending and where we're hiding and where we're acting like something is real when it's not, would you just by your grace and for your glory, would you just poke on that in our in our lives? Um, would you confront us with um, with your goodness and your gospel so that we might be different and be different because of the power of your spirit? We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, in this passage, James is going to talk about pure wisdom. He's going to talk about worthless wisdom. Okay, and then he's going to talk about kind of how that plays out in the life of the church and relationships. So the first thing we're going to look at is pure wisdom. And the first thing we see is that pure wisdom is evident. Again, in the first part of verse 13, he's calling out people who would say they're wise. These people are saying they're wise, they're understanding. And James says, look, if that's true, you're not going to have to tell anybody. It's going to be evident. It's going to be clear. People are going to be able to look at your life and say, that's a wise person. And he tells us how that's going to be. Look at the end of verse 13. By his good conduct. Now, now conduct is the general conversation of your life. That doesn't mean that a wise person always makes wise decisions. What it means is that by the general conduct, the general conversation of their life, and that, that you're going to see that they're wise. And you're going to see that because he says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. Now, that word works, James has already used in chapter 2, where he talks about our works displaying that our faith is real. And in the same way, he's saying that our works will display that our wisdom is real. So if you're looking at someone's life, Pure wisdom is going to be evident. You're going to be able to see it in the general pattern of their life and generally in the actions or choices that they make. So pure wisdom from God is going to be evident. And James wants us to understand that and to get down into that instead of just being people who say we have something that we really don't have. But he continues at the end of verse 13. By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Now, what's the connection between pure wisdom and meekness? He's used that word already back in chapter 1. If you'll turn over to chapter 1, verse 21 with me. He's used the word meekness already. And that word meekness is connected to a word that we, we understand to be humility. And so what James is saying is really something beautiful that's connected to the gospel. That pure wisdom is evident because we see it in the general conduct of our lives and in the actions or choices we make. But it's there because of humility that's in the person's life. 
Pure wisdom doesn't smell like arrogance. Pure wisdom smells like humility. And he says you can see it in the meekness of wisdom. Again, that word's been used once already in James. Look at verse 21 of chapter 1. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rapid wickedness and receive with meekness, same word, meekness or humility, the implanted word. And what can that do? Which is able to save your souls. So pure wisdom is evident in the general pattern of life, in the choices and actions of that person, but also it's evident in their humility as they are people who come to God and say, God, I need your implanted word. Pure wisdom is evident as people come to God and say, God, I need your implanted word. My hope for wisdom is not me. My hope for wisdom is not my education and, 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 and intellect. My hope for wisdom is you, God. I need the implanted word. So there's humility that's connected to pure wisdom here. Now, James continues back in chapter 3 where he talks about this pure wisdom. Not only is it evident because of the, the conduct and actions and humility, it's, it's evident because it's a gift from God. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is pure. So James is talking about this wisdom, this wisdom that's from above, and this wisdom that's from above is pure. Now, when we look at, when we look at that, that phrase where he says it's from above, what he's saying is that it's from God. It's from God. So pure wisdom is evident in the general conversation, general conduct of someone's life, in their choices. It's evident in humility, but it's also a gift from God. So not only have we come to God and said, I'll need the implanted word. We've also done what chapter one, verse three says that if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. So pure wisdom comes from people who understand, I don't have what it takes to do this. I don't have what it takes to have wisdom. I need to go to someone who does. So God, would you give me wisdom? Pure wisdom is evident in our lives. And it's evident because it's a gift from God. Now, maybe you're here today and you're thinking, you know what? I don't need any gifts. I've kind of got this handled on my own. I'm just fine. I'm doing just fine with my life. And, and I, think, I think my question to you would be, then why do you feel like you need to change? If you think you're doing just fine with your life, then why is it that every time you see a new exercise plan, a new diet, a new book, a new this, a new that, you feel like, oh, I need to change. I need to improve myself. If you think you're doing just fine and you don't need something, then why, why is the self-help section of the bookstore the largest one? Pure wisdom is connected to humility because we come to God and say, God, I have no wisdom apart from you. I need you. I need you. And so James is saying that this pure wisdom is evident. It's evident in the conduct of our lives and the choices we make. And in the humility that says, God, I need the wisdom that you have. The second thing James is going to say about wisdom is that worthless wisdom is deceptive. So in contrast to those who evidence pure wisdom, you can see it in their lives. You can see it in their choices. You can see it in their humility. In contrast to pure wisdom, you've got worthless wisdom. 
And you see that in the people who are saying they've got it. Who, who is wise and understanding among you? It's this group of people who are saying they've got wisdom. It's the same kind of people who were hearers of the word, but not doers, who were showing favoritism, but not honoring Jesus, who um, said they loved Jesus, but weren't uh, caring for the poor. It's the same group of people. And James is going to call them out toward pure wisdom. And he gives us some, some things we can look for to spot worthless wisdom. Look at verse 14. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, so pure wisdom smells like humility, worthless wisdom has bitter jealousy. So in other words, worthless people who are, have worthless wisdom, they want to be known. And they don't want to be wise to be known. They just want to be known. They just want the notoriety that comes from being known as a wise person. They're jealous. They want, they want the stuff others have. They have selfish ambition. Now, there's, there's nothing wrong with ambition. Ambition is potentially good and God-glorifying. Selfish ambition is never good, and it's always self-glorifying. In fact, selfish ambition is a, a divisive willingness to split a group for personal power and prestige. So you remember in middle school when there was the, the girl who, whenever there was a group around, she wanted to kind of have her girls that were hers, and she would kind of get them in a group, and then they then go after and fight, right? You remember this person? I know we would like to say that she died in middle school, but she didn't, right? She's still around. There's this thing with selfish ambition where we want to divide and then we want to have teams and then we want to fight. And that's, that's what James is saying. When you see that, that's evidence of worthless wisdom. Jealousy and selfish ambition. And then he goes on. We see in the, ne- the rest of verse 14, we see boasting and being false to the truth. In verse 14, he says, do not boast and be false to the truth. One of the things that happens with people who have worthless wisdom is that they feel like they have to brag about it. Because they want to be seen, they want to be known. So they're going to boast and say they've got something that they really don't have. And what's interesting about this being false to the truth, there's two things that, that this could mean. One is that, that they're telling a lie, like they're saying they have wisdom, but they really don't. That's one way it could be. Uh, talking about being false to the truth. But James has used the truth to talk about the gospel in the rest of the book. So another option is that James is using this term to say, if you act like you have wisdom and you don't, if you're guided by jealousy and ambition, if you're boasting, but you're really not who you're saying you are, you're being false to the truth. Because the gospel has not taken root in your life to make that change that you're boasting about. So you're saying to everyone, hey, I'm this. But there's nothing back here to back up what you say you are. And further, you're saying, hey, I did this myself. I got this myself. I'm the one who did this. That's false to the gospel. See, pure wisdom has a humility that says, My wisdom comes from God. My only hope is God. Worthless wisdom says, I did this myself and my hope is me. 
And that's false to the gospel. So James kind of holds out these two types of wisdom, pure wisdom that's evident and worthless wisdom that's deceptive and destructive. And he goes on explaining what this worthless wisdom is like. Look at verse 15. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but it's earthly, unspiritual and demonic. What do those mean? What in the world is he trying to say? It's earthly. In other words, it's operating as if God's not real. Worthless wisdom goes through life as if God's not really there. I'm living my life. All we have is what I see. There's no such thing as a God that I could submit to or come and ask for wisdom. I'm just going to live my life the way I want to live it. So it's earthly. Unspiritual. I'm not willing to submit to God. I'm going to do my life the way I want to do my life. I'm not going to submit to God. Now, demonic. What, what in the world does that mean? What is James saying? Is James saying that these people are possessed like those horror movies I wish I could forget? Like, is James saying that, that it's like, you know, zombies and stuff? Like, what's, what's happening here? So demonic here, I think James is connecting way, way, way back to Genesis 3. Okay, so kind of think with me back to Genesis 3. I want to catch us up on the story. So in Genesis, God creates a world. It's a beautiful world. It's a perfect world. And, and he does it out of the overflow of his joy. In that world, he makes a garden and he puts Adam and Eve in that garden. And he says, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. You can have free range of all of this thing, this whole world. Enjoy it. There's one tree in the middle of it that you can't eat from, but you can enjoy everything else. And so in Genesis 3, um, Satan comes. He's there in the garden with Adam and Eve. Um, and he starts talking to Eve about this fruit of the tree. And he says, did God say that you can't eat it? Did God really say that? Did God really say that you would die? And then she's talking to him and then he says, oh, no, no, it's not not that God wants your best. It's that God knows that when you eat this, you're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So God's trying to keep something from you. And so what Satan is doing in that moment is he is tempting her with this idea. God's trying to keep something from you and you deserve to be your own sovereign. And so when she took that fruit and ate of it, not only was she disobeying God, she was also declaring her own sovereignty. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live it. I don't care about God. I don't care about his rules. I don't care about his ways. I'm going to make my own choices. She ate it and then gave it to her husband who was with her. And he ate and in their doing that, they were declaring their own sovereignty. So what's the connection to worthless wisdom? When we live as if we can glean wisdom apart from God, we're declaring our own sovereignty. We're living as if God's not real. We're, we're practical atheists in our lives when we live that way. And James says that's earthly, it's unspiritual, and it's demonic. And I think he's connecting it back to Genesis 3, where all this came from in the first place. 
And so James would say that worthless wisdom is deceptive and it's dangerous. There's this pure wisdom that comes from God. And all we all we do is we come and ask in humility, God, would you give me wisdom? I need wisdom from you. And he says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without reproach. And there's a worthless wisdom that says, I'm going to be my I'm going to be a self-made man. I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to be the person I want to be. And I'm going to make myself this way. And then I want to be seen. So the people will know that I've made myself this way. And James wants to call us away from a worthless wisdom to a wisdom that's pure. Now, James continues talking about how this wisdom affects community. And he starts that in verse 16. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, notice he doesn't say there can be disorder and every vile practice. He says there will be. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Now, why would that be? If there's worldly wisdom, wisdom in play in a community, in a church, in a community group, in a marriage. If there's jealousy and selfish ambition, then we see everyone as an enemy. And the reason there's disorder is because we're all trying to get to the front of the line. We all want to be seen and no one wants to serve. We all want to be at the front. We all want to be in charge. For our uh, vacation a couple weeks ago, we took our family to the Grand Canyon. It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, And it may surprise you that we have a few people in our family that like to be in charge. Um, And so we are uh, on our way to the Grand Canyon, and we're kind of giving them the business. Like, look, here's the deal. And, and it's not always bad. Like, you know, if we're running from the restaurant to the car and they want to see who's going to get there first or if they want to argue over the front seat or whatever when mom's not in the car. And that, that's, that's not a big deal. It's funny. But we, we're kind of reading the business on the way to the Grand Canyon. It's like, look, you do what we say when we say or you die. Now, not that mommy and daddy are going to kill you. It's that there are cliffs and you will die. You do what we say when we say. I don't want to go to the Grand Canyon anymore. You're going to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> We're going, you know, but, but, but we wanted them to understand if you guys are not responding rightly, if you're trying to be at the front and you're not responding rightly, then, then there's going to be consequences. And James says, when jealousy and selfish ambition are present, there will be disorder. And then he says, every vile practice. And he's already listed some of those in the book of James, showing favoritism, treating people uh, differently because of their money or because of their class, not bridling our tongue. All these things in the book of James, these are vile and they come from worthless wisdom. And we see this in our relationships. You see friends who try to outdo one another because they're trying to compete You see marriages that are destroyed because they see one another as enemies and he sees his in her weaknesses. He sees his strengths and instead of serving her, he crushes her. It's vile. We see this in churches where no one wants to serve, but everybody wants to be seen. That's the kind of community that worthless wisdom creates where there will be not could be, but will be disorder 
and every vile practice. And then James continues with the kind of community that pure wisdom creates. It's not a community of backbiters and haters. It's not a community where everybody's trying to make it to the front of the line. It's a community that's attractive. Look at verse 17. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And maybe you're looking at that verse going, Brian, I don't see anything about community in there. I understand, but it's hard to be gentle by yourself. It's hard to be open to reason when you're by yourself. These are words that assume you're going to be interacting with other people. And so pure wisdom makes us peacemakers, makes us peaceable. We're not contentious. We're not always looking for a fight. We're looking to establish peace when we can. It makes us gentle. There's something about wisdom that makes us gentle. Wisdom that knows my only, only everything I've, I have I've received from God. And so it makes us gentle with other people. A lot of us are kind of to that stage where we've noticed that our parents have turned from parents to grandparents. And we're looking at them going, what happened to you? Like the things that used to get 40 lashes minus one are now getting candy. Right? I mean, I look at my mom every, every time we're, she's with my kids. I'm like, who are you? And what did you do with my mother? Because what he just did, if I had done that, you'd been in prison or something. I mean, it, it, what happened to you, mom? And I think as I, as I think about what happens to a, a when, when parents become grandparents and they get more gentle, I think, I think one of the things is that they've watched our lives and seen how we've grown. And so they get more patient over the long haul. And so maybe as parents, we could be less stop, quit, don't and more gentle. Now there's times to be stop, quit, don't, but you hear what I'm saying. Maybe we could not sweat the small stuff as much. And maybe that would make us gentle. It makes us peacemakers. It makes us open to reason. It doesn't mean that we don't have convictions. It just means that we're willing to listen and learn and understand before we interact. So where worthless wisdom sees everyone as an enemy, pure wisdom extends grace and tries to make peace. It makes us a compassionate people. Look at this, full of mercy and good fruits. Pure wisdom makes us a compassionate people. We're full of mercy and, and good works toward people. It makes us an authentic people. We're impartial. We treat everyone the same. We're not showing favoritism. And we're sincere. We're the same person here that we are there. We're not hypocritical. We don't wear masks. We're not two-faced. We're sincere. And worthless wisdom has no place for authenticity. Only pure wisdom has a place for authenticity. Worthless wisdom is trying to impress, trying to show, and trying to be something Pure wisdom realizes everything I have comes from God. So it makes us an authentic people. Finally, pure wisdom creates an environment where people can grow. Look at verse 18. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So pure wisdom creates an environment where righteousness is sown. In chapter 1, James says, The anger of man cannot produce the righteous life or the righteousness that God desires. 
Here, James shows us that pure wisdom creates an environment, an environment of people who are peaceable, compassionate, unauthentic. And in that environment, people can grow. It says a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. And so an environment of of people with pure wisdom where they're coming to God saying, God, I need you. My only hope is you. I need the implanted word that's able to save me. I lack wisdom, so I need wisdom from you. Would you would you grant wisdom by your grace? Would you do that, God? That an environment with that kind of people is an environment where people can really grow. Because wisdom affects community. So I have just one kind of application slash observation to press into us, and then we'll continue with the rest of our, our gathering. And that's this. Those who lack wisdom have good news. Those who lack wisdom have, have really good news. It's not just good, it's really good news. Now, James has talked about three types of people. Okay, talked about people with pure wisdom. Those are people whose wisdom is evident. He's talked about people who have worthless wisdom, who are just saying that they have something. There's no real life change. They're just saying, hey, look at me. I've got wisdom. I'm wise and understanding. Notice me. See me. They're just boasting and proud and jealous and seeking for their own glory. There's a third kind of person that he mentions in the whole book, and it's those who lack wisdom. And to those who lack wisdom, there's really good news. Now, there's good news for people with pure wisdom because everything they have, they received. And those who have pure wisdom know that. They know that it came from God. But those with worthless wisdom have to go through some bad news before they get to the good news. The bad news is, for, you, for those of us who have worthless wisdom, who are just pretending, the bad news is we have to stop pretending. And that's so hard. Because we've spent our lives pretending, putting on a front, trying to make people think we have something when reality we're scared. And we spend our lives trying to maintain this facade because we're so scared that if anyone ever found out that I really don't have what I've been saying I have, then no one will love me. And I'll be gone. I'll I'll just be shown to be this facade, this mask. And so the bad news for the people who are pretending with worthless wisdom, the bad news is you've got to come clean. You've got to come clean and say to God. God, I, I can't do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. I have no wisdom that's from me. I need wisdom that's from you. And someone who's majoring on worthless wisdom has spent their life pretending and showing people that they could do it on their own. Now, that's bad news that you have to stop pretending, but it's incredibly freeing. It's incredibly freeing. Now, for those who lack wisdom, incredibly good news for us. Incredibly good news. In fact, if you'll go to chapter 1, verse 5, we're going to see this. And we've talked about it uh, uh, back in September, but let's just look at it again because it applies to the passage that we're talking about. 
If you know you lack wisdom, incredibly good news for you. Look at verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. So if you know you lack wisdom, there's really good news. All you have to do is come to God and say, God, I need wisdom. God, I need wisdom. I'm starting a new job. I need wisdom. Stuff's going on with my family. I need wisdom. My relationships are hard right now. I don't know what entirely is going on. I need wisdom. My money is all jacked up. I need wisdom, God. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask. And God who gives generously to all without reproach. What that without reproach means is this. God's not keeping a list of all the things he's given to you. You're not going to come to God on a Wednesday and say, God, I need wisdom today. And God say, well, you know what? I've given you your allotted wisdom for this week. I gave you wisdom on Monday. I gave it to you twice on Tuesday. You're out of wisdom for this week. He doesn't operate that way. He gives generously without the list. And he says, but let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. And what he's saying there is this. God wants us to just go all in asking him. God doesn't want us to be the people who are saying, hey, God, I need wisdom. I'm, I'm going to keep doing it my way, but I need wisdom. No, God wants us to go all in. God, my only hope is you. I need wisdom. I need your word. I need you to give me wisdom. And it's good news because God loves to give to those who ask. He's generous. He's generous. Maybe you're like James and you're a skeptic. You're not sure. And you might ask, well, how do we know he's going to be generous? How do we know? Well, we know he's going to be generous because he sent his son, Jesus, to die on a cross for sin. And if he would give us his son, would he not give us wisdom? Well, how can I know this is all true? How can I know this isn't just made up stuff? If he gave us his son and his son died a horrible death, but he didn't stay dead. He also was raised from the dead such that his brother would now worship him as God. And so how do we know it's true? We know it's true because Jesus is alive. We know it's true because Jesus was raised from the dead. And so if you're wondering, how can I trust that God's going to be generous and give me wisdom? You can trust that he's going to be generous because Jesus died in your place for your sin. How can I trust that this is really going to work? Because Jesus is alive. He's resurrected from the dead. So if you're a person who needs wisdom, ask, ask. He loves to give generously to all who ask him. Let's pray together.